story folk, you're listening to Lore and Legend with your hosts Sebastian O'Dell and Rick Scott, bringing you myths, legends and fables from world folklore and mythology. We tell stories in the traditional style, and we enrich our tales with traditional music and dramatic audio work. Welcome to our latest episode of Lore Talk. If this is your first time listening, most of our episodes consist of a story, followed by a discussion about the folklore and mythology that it springs from. But in Law Talk episodes, we catch up on some of our previous discussions, make announcements about the future of the podcast, and discuss some of the myth and folklore around our holiday specials, which don't come with a discussion due to their tighter production times. In this episode, we'll recap our most recent holiday specials, and you'll hear two real-world legends of the Blue Rose uncovered since we did Sarah's original fairy tale for Valentine's Day. We'll look ahead to series two and how you can prime yourself on Greek culture and mythology before diving into our exploration of the Greek gods of death, dream, and dark fate. This episode of Lore and Legend comes thanks to the contributions of our Patreon subscribers, story folk Christy Carson and Paul Jackson. Thanks to both of you for your generosity and your enthusiasm for our stories. Please consider joining Christy and Paul in supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. For more details, visit our website and click Support Us, or go directly to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash loreandlegend. The Lore and Legend theme music in this episode is by Robert Bentall. You'll also hear music today from US composer Caleb Hennessy. Please see the episode notes for credits, and full audio credits are available at www.loreandlegend.co.uk. Welcome back to all of you. We've uh, we've been away for a couple of months, but um, we're uh, releasing again. We're looking back at the the last episodes we've done, and we're also looking forward to our future series. Yeah, and uh, this episode of Law and Legend comes to you from lockdown, uh, the brave new world uh, that everyone's yeah. contending with at the moment. And uh, that Corona life. <laughs> Yeah, so rather than uh, recording together in the studio, we're actually using um, Zoom and Clean Feed to uh, to do a virtual recording session. So, uh, I we hope that you're all um, safe and well. We know that when when this comes out, we'll still be in lockdown by uh, latest projections. Um, the last few episodes were have, have all been were. Uh, you will have heard my voice an awful lot, but uh, not Seb's, uh, and that's not because he vanished away, but uh, he is—he uh, was um, uh, unavoidably detained with other matters. <laughs> so, do you want to let yeah. us know a bit about what you're up to, Seb? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've been—I mean, off and on for a while—applying to to do a PhD as a continuation of my master's research. I was putting together a submission for um, research funding, which has been submitted, um, and they think I've got a reasonable chance of, of getting it. So that's all good news so far. Hypothetically, I'm supposed to find out in 10 days, so uh, wish me luck, everyone. Oh, yeah, best of luck with that. You can join the uh, hallowed ranks of us PhD students. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, the, that's it. I, for, I forgot that you were Dr. Scott. The, the agony and the ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, your thesis about? The subject area is psychology, more specifically social psychology. And my master's research was done into um, jealousy in the context of uh, adult attachment. So we're talking about, well, predominantly for my research, romantic relationships, although it has... It's looking at the way that people are motivated to think of themselves and evaluate themselves, particularly in comparison to other people. Um, so it's, it's all, I mean, it's geared up to sort of understand why we feel the need to, to measure ourselves in this way and how we could uh, sort of work to ameliorate it. Well, it all sounds a lot more serious and worthy than my own PhD research on <laughs> the history of dreams. <laughs> well, I, the um, if we if we didn't have your research in that, then these listeners wouldn't be getting season two of Lore and Legend. So don't tell them that. <laughs> That's true. Be that a blessing or a curse. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you have to work it out for yourselves. <laughs> And it also seems like a good jumping off point for talking about the Valentine's Day episode. Um. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, while while everybody's there waiting desperately for um, season two, um, we're still, we've been bringing out seasonal episodes. We've, uh, we've got this tale from somebody who's been a contributor to this, um, to Lore and Legend before, because Sarah contributed... Um, the last wolf to us, didn't she? She did, yep. And um, Sarah, in one of her stories that she's writing, included a short telling of a fairy tale that I kind of fell in love with. And I asked her if we could do a version of that on the podcast. And she said yes. And I invited her to come and do the episode. But she said that actually what she was most interested in was uh, seeing what I would do with it. It's quite interesting to me because, um, of course, when we, when we had the last wolf... It was full of beautiful description and sort of really sort of intense focus on the action. But the, the story in the form that you got it from Sarah was um, it was more schematic than that, wasn't it? So you've elaborated quite a bit. Yeah, well, it's very much the process that we go through when creating uh, performances for the podcast in the sense what she'd created was, uh, you know, her characters tell us tale a folk tale in in the universe of her story um in a very kind of like short and abbreviated form as as many folk tales are related from one person to another and that was part of part of the beauty of it you know it's uh you know it mimicked the sort of structure and style of of a folk tale you know in its bare bone in its in its essentials uh in, in exactly mm. the way that that usually looks so um, it was really a pleasure to kind of take that and then develop it into the sort of more developed kind of uh, storytelling performances that we do in this podcast. So mm. I, I quite enjoyed that. Yes, because it's the sort of thing that that's the, the bones that would be taken on by another storyteller if they wanted to do their own version. It would keep the main central plot points and themes, but then develop it in their own way for their own purposes. As as well as seeing Sarah's tale, I was also working with a friend in her garden um, and we got talking about roses uh, because she's mm. got lots of beautiful roses in her garden. I can't remember why, but I asked if there was such thing as a blue rose. You know, do you get blue roses? 
and she told me that there were blue roses were kind of like infamously sort of something that florists have kind of pursued in the past like trying to breed a blue rose but that had never been done successfully before and I thought oh well that's a fantastic like idea a fantastic kind of story isn't it and originally Sarah's tale was it was about a blue flower but it wasn't a blue rose specifically so when we were when I was thinking about this this is what kind of got my mind turning and I said to her oh well you know why don't I tell the story and why don't we make it a blue rose because a blue rose is this thing that um, sort of doesn't exist in nature but people are kind of striving for. The, um, um, the sort of florists uh, philosopher's stone. <laughs> yes of the uh, mm. of the gardener's world. Um, mm. So yeah like it's, it's interesting because we kind of how we independently kind of came to that idea. And then almost after we'd done that, I actually started, you know, researching the blog post and uh, and Blue Roses. And we just ended up discovering uh, after the fact that there are actually already folk tales and legends about Blue Roses. Because in the, in the podcast episode... The, the blue rose um, has a lot of symbolism for the, the unattainable, the unreachable, the things that you sort of strive for, just in the same way that the, um, uh, what's her name, Rosalia in the, in the garden is, is looking at the stars and they, they talk about the stars as things that you can look at and strive for but never, never reach. Yes, and drawing down the moon, which is... Uh... There's another whole kind of like area of folklore about the symbolism of the moon and uh, falling in love with the moon and that kind of thing is something that is kind of tantalizingly within the human sphere. It's much closer than all the other planets and stars, but yeah, it's still out of our reach, but it sometimes feels like you could reach out and touch it. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. yeah, so that worked really well, but... Um, these legends about the blue rose, and these legends about the blue rose that already exist, um, it's exactly the same thing. the the blue The blue rose um, sort of symbolizes unattainable or impossible love. Um, mm. So it was uh, really, really quite cool and exciting to find that the the similarities between the fairy tale that uh, that Sarah had written independently, and then the actual folklore about blue roses, uh, which contains made the same ideas, um, even as you'll as you'll hear, because we're going to um, uh, we're going to tell you the the blue rose folk tales now, um, uh, up, up to and including uh, you know in in Sarah's story there is um, a necromancer and a magician. Uh, and in one of these stories, there is also kind of uh, a magician or inventor who who tries to uh, who tries to create a blue rose. Uh, so yeah, that was really cool. There um, originally uh, Chinese folk tales. Mm. Um, worth saying that the sources that we found for them are all online. Um, mm. There are two two different folk tales. Um, both claim to come from China. Um, one of them we sort of found on Chinese uh, websites using Google Translate. Um, and the other is uh, most of the versions that we find are actually 
uh, English versions told by English or American storytellers, which say that they're from a Chinese tradition, but I don't actually have any, um, you know, Chinese don't, sources on chi- yeah, Chinese oral sources or anything like that. So uh, I, I guess these are uh, allegedly uh, Chinese folk <laughs> tales, but we we can't put solid academic bona fides to that. <laughs> yeah, best but, to put in a caveat: this being a, a folklore podcast, we don't want to mislead the listeners. Yeah, well, I mean, we can say they're not. We, we don't know about their history, but they are part of contemporary Chinese folklore about uh, about blue roses. Um, mm. So yes, without any further ado, we're going to play for you now. Uh, two legends of the blue rose. The legends of the blue rose. The first legend. Once there was an emperor's daughter who came of age and was to be married. And her father decided to give his daughter the right to make one demand of the man who had become her husband. When he asked her daughter to make her demand, she said, Father, I will marry the man who can bring to me the blue rose. Well, when they heard of her demand, many who might have sought the hand of the princess were dissuaded. For who had ever seen or heard of such a thing as a blue rose? But some of these men were determined. A merchant who desired to marry her paid a florist to give him a rose that was painted blue. Then a merchant presented the rose to the princess, but a drop of the blue paint fell from the petals onto the back of her hand. This is not a blue rose, she said. I will not marry you. Then there was another man, and he threatened to kill the servants of his household if they could not find for him a blue rose. They panicked, until one of them had an idea. He went to the village and he found a jeweller. The jeweller took a sapphire and carved it into the shape of a rose. But when it was presented to the princess, she said, I can see that your heart is as cold as this piece of stone. This is not a blue rose. I will not marry you. There was another man who was very clever He sought out a wizard, and he asked the wizard to create for him a blue rose. The wizard gave him a mirrored box, in which there appeared a perfect illusion of a blue flower. The clever man presented it to the princess. She reached out, and her fingers passed straight through the vision of the blue rose. I won't marry a man who deals in deceptions, she said to him. This is no blue rose, and I will not marry you. Having sent the man away, the princess retreated then to the gardens. She sat there, and she waited for the gardener's son. The two of them had known each other for years, since they were young and they had played together. They knew each other's hearts, and she confessed to him that really she loved him, and that it was him who she wanted to marry. The young man thought for a moment, and then he said to her, Go to bed, and in the morning 
I will bring you the blue rose. Well, the next morning, the young man, he marched into the palace and he presented the princess with a white rose. Everyone stared and whispered to each other. Surely both of them could see this wasn't a blue rose, but a common white one. But the princess took the flower from him and she turned to everybody else and she declared, this rose is a blue rose. And the emperor agreed. He said, if my daughter sees a blue rose, then this is a blue rose. And the princess and the gardener's son were married and they lived happily until the end of their days. The second legend. Once there was a boy who lived on his own, deep in the forest. He tended a beautiful garden there. His favourite flowers were roses. And he grew roses there of every kind and colour. Through sun and rain and wind, he would happily sit there in his garden, admiring, even talking to his roses. But there was one kind of rose that he could not grow, and that was the blue rose. The boy dreamed of breeding a rose of blue petals. If he could grow a blue rose, when he found the girl that he wanted to give his heart to, then he would present her with it. Well, love always comes to us by chance. One day, the boy was walking down the stream when he came across a girl who was injured. He took her home. He nursed her back to health. And as he cared for her, the two of them grew close. And eventually they fell in love. The boy told her about his dream of growing a blue rose. Yes, he still dreamed of it. He swore to her that one day he would give her a blue rose. Yet no matter how hard he tried, the roses that he bred in his garden were never blue. Well, until one morning, the sun rose. The boy stepped out into the garden and, and he stopped. There, rising up from amongst the white, the red, the pink, the yellow, purple and black roses, was a beautiful blue rose. The boy could not believe his eyes. His heart leapt for joy. He drew the girl out into the garden excitedly to show her, look, he said. Now I know for sure our love is true. Out of it has grown this, a blue rose. Oh, and they were happy. Until one day when the sky was dark, and lightning flashed, and thunder rolled. 
Startled by the lightning, out of her dreams, the girl looked out, saw with panic that rain was washing down the windows. She ran out into the garden. The rain drenched her from head to foot, and she stared at the roses, her heart filling rapidly with sorrow and despair. And the boy looked out of the house and saw her standing outside. Behind her in the garden, there were red and yellow and pink and purple and black and white roses. There were no blue roses to be seen. But the grass beneath her bare feet was stained with blue paint. The lightning flashed again. And so anger flashed through the boy's heart. If she loved him, how could she lie to him? Her love like the flower, it must be a lie. For an instant, their eyes met. He saw water running, he saw the water running down her face. But her tears were lost in the rain. Then as the lightning flashed again, the boy turned and he ran from the house. The girl didn't follow him. She didn't leave the garden. Instead, she stayed and she wept for days. The roses of the garden withered around her. And as she looked out over the dying flowers, she was unable to bear the pain of her own broken heart. She sank to her knees. Her tears dripped down onto the petals of those withered flowers. And at their touch, the roses suddenly began to bloom again with life. It was days later that the boy awoke in the forest, and he knew the truth in his heart that she had painted the roses blue because she really loved him. And he ran back to the rose garden, calling out to her. When he came, there was no sign of the girl that he loved. There was only the garden full of roses. And each one of them blushed, a beautiful shade of true blue. And on the petals of those flowers were raindrops. And each one of those raindrops looked just like the tears of a girl. Sarah's story of the Blue Rose. A long time ago, there was a king who loved his queen. 
but she died young from an illness, and he was heartbroken. He cried out to heaven to return her to him, but when God didn't listen to his prayers, he turned to the desert instead, and he summoned an evil genie to the palace. The genie made a flower called Leilani grow out of the mouth of the king's wife. The genie made a blue rose grow out of the mouth of the king's wife. And he told the king that the flower held the seed of her soul and instructed him to give it to his next wife. So his first wife could be reborn in her body. He warned the king never to touch the flower, never to touch his wife once she had returned. The king was very grateful and showered the genie with riches. Now, one story says that the king searched his kingdom for a second wife, but couldn't find anyone who matched up to his first the flower was dying and he was running out of time, and so in despair he kissed the flower that housed her soul. At that moment he saw her in front of him, and then he fell into a deep sleep. The palace fell into chaos. The palace then was in chaos, because his advisers thought that he was dying. But then he woke seemingly in perfect health, and he asked, Where is my husband? Now living in the body of the king, the queen ruled the kingdom from then onwards, grieving for her lost husband. Some say that she ruled until the end of her days, but some said she could not bear to see her husband's face in the mirror every day. And she took her own life. Another story says that the king gave the rose to the most beautiful of his concubines. The queen was reborn in her, but in the end he could not resist kissing her. Then the story ends in the same way as the first. I mean, I guess it makes a lot of sense um, that you've got the same kind of symbolism because there's this common uh, cultural experience of gardeners everywhere trying to make a blue rose. It's not just Western gardeners, but it's a, it's a thing that people have been trying to do all over the world for a long time, that you, you then get symbolism from that that's all that we strive for but can't quite have. Yeah, like like you see in that first tale, there's actually a history as well of, um, you know, people creating artificial blue roses. Um, mm. People, uh, you know, she, she paints, uh, one of them paints a blue rose. Um, and gardeners did actually put blue dye into the soil, uh, which got sucked up into the roots of, of some plants, uh, some, some roses and sort of turned them blue or, or purplish. Um and it is actually an actual fact. There was a um, a Japanese research team, which has created a genetically modified blue rose, oh, uh, in recent it. times. Uh, but what's funny about that is that um, 
they created uh, apparently that genetically speaking, the rose is the color of true blue. But actually, when you look at it, what most people see is a shade of of purple or violet. Uh, so it doesn't actually look blue at all, really. It doesn't look quite right. So, um, I mean, that's great in many ways. That's just kind of like plays into the whole sort of story about unattainability and not yep. quite getting what you're looking for. Um, um, and you've mentioned uh, the moon as a bridge for souls. And you, Does that come from a tradition? Does that come from... It comes up a lot in uh, in, in Greek mythology. Um, or in, in Greek philosophy, so um, and and from there into Western philosophy. So there's this idea that um, the heavens are this realm of pure and perfect matter that's um, associated with you know the abode of the gods and things, and that uh, you know uh, impure and imperfect matter exists on on earth. Um, and and so in Aristotle and stuff like that, you know, the 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 crystalline spheres of the heavens, you know, the planets are supposed to be embedded in this pure uh, crystalline fifth element. Um, mm. And the motion of the planets is conceived of as being, you know, sort of perfect and this celestial harmony. Um, and in that model of the universe, the moon is the closest uh, stellar body to us. Um, and the idea is that it is uh, almost a bridge between those realms, you know, the imperfect world below the sky um, and the perfect world that's above it. Um, and uh, in some Neoplatonic philosophy, they say that um, a lot of the guiding spirits that communicate between mankind and the gods live on the moon spirits and dreams and oracles uh come through that kind of like passageway of the moon gods of the underworld are also associated mm. with the moon as sort of a passage between this world and the next world so again the physical world and the spiritual world uh gods like uh uh hecate um and pluto um or, you know, sometimes Diana and all that kind of stuff um, will be associated with the moon, but also with witchcraft because it is a bridge through which you can, which divine power can be drawn from the spiritual world into our world. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of precedents for that in real world mythology. Of course, we had a moon story as well in the uh, the first series, The Buried Moon. Um We'll, we'll we'll try and keep up a moon story every every series. <laughs> that's that's Some... quite that's quite a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we can build it. No, I don't. I don't know. But yes, we definitely played on the moon, and we also had this kind of recurring theme of these sort of uh, characters, these travellers who um, kind of like meet up underneath the moon and are searching for something. You know, that was part of the. Um, it was part of the buried moon tale, especially at the end. It was part of the blue Valentine story, and uh, yeah, that may come up again in series two as well. So, uh, oh, <laughs> there there are some interesting themes to explore. I mean, one of the things that kind of comes up in this one is about the nature of loving a particular person. 
you know, in the sense of um, so so through this kind of uh, translation of Rosalia's soul into the flower, he's told that um, if he finds, uh, you know, he can transfer her soul into another body. Um, and of course, um, you know, you know the, the, these characters aren't supposed to be um, moral paradigms or anything. I mean, very obviously, uh, he's, he's searching for somebody to steal their body from them. So, you know, you know he's, uh, he's, he's, he's definitely not, uh, not uh, a good character. Um, but at the same time, he sort of uh, has all of this kind of like existential crisis about what it actually means to... Um, put somebody's soul into another body you know to what extent is the way that you uh feel about somebody um also like how how does that comprise part of their identity um mm. not in because i mean you can think of that in a very shallow way you know and it can be um you know um you know what one way to pitch the story would be oh he couldn't find anybody who was beautiful enough to match up to the the woman that his wife had been and that would very much be that like you say you know like love and uh, as being dependent on beauty and all that kind of thing but marinus is more kind of like worried about whether somehow putting her soul in a different body will turn her into a different person mm. and i think that's it's an interesting like thing to think about philosophically how much is your body and who you are and your physical aspect um how important is that uh in yeah. ways that are um you know um valid and or troubling um and how is that uh and and how that may in some ways also change how you experience them I mean, definitely, it, it is going to change the way that you experience them. Um, uh, the kind of way that a person looks, the sort of mischievous glance, the um, the the boyish smile, the um, uh, the kind of knotted brow, all of these kind of are, are features of a person, how you experience them, um, and and features of how they know of how to um, uh, express their feelings um physically i suppose you know exploring that that idea that it might matter to you mm. you know that um you know the way that somebody looks at you changes or the way that they um express or interact with the world um and you know and, and things like sexual attraction you know you can map that onto things that are much more complicated than just how conventionally beautiful somebody is so in season two we're going to be exploring greek mythology but uh, sort of an area of greek mythology which um, people might not know a lot about and that's the Greek gods of sleep and dream. So, yeah, you'll uh, hear lots of episodes and stories about characters like uh, Endymion, Penelope, uh, Bellerophon, Asclepius and Odysseus. Um, and you also learn about the sort of the gods of prophecy and sleep and dreams, which includes uh, characters who are probably quite familiar, like Hermes and Apollo, uh, but also the the gods of sleep like Hypnos and the god of dreams, Morpheus, um, who 
doesn't go around dispensing red and blue pills in these stories. But <laughs> the, uh, I was wondering what... Um... Uh, yeah, really excited about the series. And um, uh, I'm really excited about... We've, uh, we've got a lot of music um, in the series that's played sort of on authentic... Uh, authentic Greek music on instruments that are based on instruments from the period, uh, from the period like the kephara and the the lyre, um, by artists like uh, Michael Levy, um, and uh, people who work at the uh, uh, the Greek Museum of Ancient Music in Thessaloniki, uh, Sakilo. Um, and uh, original compositions as well from a US-based composer called Caleb Hennessy. Uh, you'll already have heard his music in The Blue Rose and in this episode as well. In Greece, they're making these gorgeous reproductions of, uh, of Greek instruments uh, from materials that get as close as they can to, uh, to some, of the, the, some of the materials that the ancients used. Um, mm. The uh, quite famously, the lyre is supposed to have been invented by Hermes by um, placing two pieces of uh, wood or two horns into um, into a tortoise shell and covering it with a skin of a drum. Uh, I don't, I don't, they don't. I think they occasionally use real tortoise shells if they're available, <laughs> <laughs> but most of them are wood reproductions, obviously, because. Uh, you know, we wouldn't uh, wouldn't condone the uh, advocate the, um, the massacre the of torto- tortoises <laughs> in the in in these day and age. But, it's uh... it's supposedly the way that he um, uh, kindles a friendship with Apollo, isn't it? By revealing to him the lyre and playing it to him, and does he offer Apollo the lyre? I'm trying to remember this now. Uh, he does it very much to get out of trouble. Yes. Because he has stolen and slaughtered uh, Apollo's, Apollo's cattle uh, for dinner. <laughs> but as I recall, it works. It does work, yes. Uh, Apollo is entranced by the beautiful music, as I'm sure our listeners will be entranced by the beautiful <laughs> music uh, by these artists uh, in, very in well the podcast. Found, I like it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Museum of Ancient Music uh, is, uh, is called Sakilo. The uh, the workshops that make the instruments are called uh, Luferios, uh, and they make uh, make absolutely beautiful instruments. And I do actually did actually buy one of their uh, their ancient Greek lyres for myself, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm completely incompetent with it. it. <laughs> I can attest to the amazingness of the lyre. I'm not saying anything about Rick's quality at playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, originally I got hold of it when I thought it might be actually very difficult to get hold of music for the podcast. And I thought I might have to try my hand at doing some of it myself. Yeah, not only do the uh, does the museum and the instrument making workshop work together, there's also they've got sort of a new program now called the Lyre Academy, um, where if you buy one of their instruments, then they actually have tutors online now who will teach you how to play uh, the ancient lyre. Oh, um, nice. So they've got lots of different courses from beginners and up into uh, sort of intermediate and advanced um, courses. Uh, so yeah, if any of you are musicians or if you just take uh, fancy becoming a, a Grecian bard, then uh, go, and te- go and check them out. We've got all the links for that in the episode notes and, in the, uh, and on our website. 
Uh, and we're actually looking at putting together an episode where we might interview some of the people from uh, from Luferios and the Lyra Academy um, and uh, possibly tell some of those Greek legends uh, about music uh, and uh, lyre players and the uh, the musical gods of, of the Greek mythos. So, Very good, yes. Yeah. Stories that we're exploring... Um, I'm hoping that we can bring something new to, especially for people who haven't, uh, who are already quite familiar with Greek mythology, um, some different stories, some different interpretations of stories that you that you may know as well. Um, but some of our listeners uh, perhaps haven't got very deep into Greek mythology before. In the pod, in in our podcast, we will be delving a little bit into the history. Um, um of ancient greece and how the myths and legends are tied to greek culture but if you would like to uh, familiarize yourself with the stories of the iliad and the odyssey um then uh, here are a few recommendations uh, recommendation one if you'd like to um have sort of a shorter read or digest of the stories of the iliad and the odyssey then um the Iliad for Boys and Girls and The Odyssey for Boys and Girls by Alfred John Church um, is available um, as a free ebook from Gutenberg Press or as a free audiobook from LibriVox. So, you know, that'll give you a um, sort of a quick and, over, uh, and simplified overview of the stories. If you've got Netflix, then you might want to check out the um, BBC drama uh, Troy, Fall of a City on Netflix. Um, it's all right. It's not my favorite kind of interpretation of, um, Greek myth. Uh, but I do have to say that, uh, the actor Joseph Maul has the absolute perfect brows for playing, uh, Odysseus. <laughs> I thought he was very well cast. <laughs> I'm going to have to look up Joseph Maul. You might also be interested in sort of uh, modern takes and reinterpretations of um, the stories of uh, the Iliad. Um, so two that I've read recently are both actually... Um, so uh, Pat Barker's The Silence of the Girls is one that I read. Um, and uh, Madeline Miller's uh, The Song of Achilles. Yeah, so those are those are two, two great books that, that I'd recommend. Um, there are lots of uh, podcasts that you can listen to um, yep. about Greek history. Um, there's the Ancient Greek History podcast by Ryan Stitt, uh, especially the first few episodes. Uh, they get longer as the series goes on, but the first like four or five will give you a fairly good introduction to the whole kind of Greek world and some of its mythology. Um, yeah, so I mean, having having listened to that podcast, I'll just jump in there. The um, it gives you a good overview of the historical context of um, what Greek society was like in the era that a lot of their mythology is set in. Yeah, and and the way that their sort of culture and religion sprung up, so you can understand the context in which these kind of mytholo- mythological events take place. Yeah, like, like for instance, you know, we mentioned uh, Hermes eating Apollo's cattle. So one of the things that comes up in the podcast is how valuable uh, cattle was in Greek society. So we understand why they're kind of seen as these sacred animals that the gods kind of have a monopoly on. <laughs> mm. yeah. um, 
another one that I listen to quite a lot um, is one of my favourite podcasts actually while researching this is called uh, Ancient Greece Declassified by Lantern Jack and uh, he interviews lots of uh, classics professors and experts in the field uh, each episode's um, on sort of like a different subject um, and uh, and they're really interesting so uh, yeah I'd did re- doing research for one of our episodes recently there's a, a great episode called uh penelope weaver of fate um and that sort of helps you to understand uh various elements of uh, uh the character penelope in in the myth of the odyssey so uh yeah that's that's another one that you can check out um there's uh live albert's let's let's talk about myths baby um which is a podcast uh, which kind of takes a sort of uh, informal, slightly comedic look at um, the often batshit crazy contents of Greek myth. <laughs> um, yeah. There are there are a series of episodes that cover the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, so you might have to have a little look for them um, in their episode catalogue. Uh, but that's that's another way to sort of get caught up on these. Jeff Wright's podcasts, uh, the Trojan War podcast and the Odyssey podcasts. Um, now, uh, that's th- those are sort of full-on storytelling podcasts, but he does go into uh, all of the myths surrounding the Trojan Wars and the Odyssey, including going into the backstory of characters and pulling out other myths about them. Uh, so that's great, but it is a bit of an epic journey in itself. So that uh, that's a good one to get into if you uh, really get into the into the myths. But um, if you, again, if you're looking for a sort of a, a quick delve into the stories of the the Trojan War and the Odyssey, then uh, th- those ones would take you quite a while. Stay tuned for guest episodes over the next few months with storytellers Jason Book and Daisy Black, as well as Jake Evans and Kat Quatermass. Season 2 will be out in the summertime. You've been listening to The Legends of the Blue Rose, our latest Law Talk episode. This episode of Law and Legend came to you thanks to the contributions of our Patreon subscribers, Christy Carson and Paul Jackson. Please consider joining Christy and Paul in supporting the podcast by visiting our website and clicking support us for more details. If you'd like to hear the Blue Rose Legends separately from this episode, you can go to the Lore and Legend website where you can download my telling of the Blue Rose stories as a bonus episode. For those bonus episodes, we ask that you consider making a donation for the Gumroad download. You could also see a video of me telling the Blue Rose story, which I recorded for the Modern Decameron Online Storytelling Festival at the end of March. That video is available on the Modern Decameron YouTube page and also on the Law and Legend YouTube channel. Once again, we hope that you're all staying safe and well out there at the moment. Thank you for listening, Storyfolk. <laughs>